Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The Jewish Holy Days are uh, centered around two um, primary days of observance. The first is known as Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and is really the spiritual head of the year. It's celebrated on the 7th month, the first day, and um, in most Jewish communities, it's celebrated for two days outside the land of Israel, and some communities outside the land of Israel for one day. Ten days later is what most individuals within the Jewish community would call the holiest day of the Jewish spiritual calendar, and that is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, um, Jews refrain from eating and other acts of pleasure for 24 hours, from sundown to sundown. And um, during the daylight hours uh, of the day of Yom Kippur, they are on the synagogue for the entire day. It is an awesome experience in which one is ask for forgiveness for the sins that they have committed during the past year, sins against God and sins against one's uh, fellow inhabitants of this earth. In the afternoon service of Yom Kippur, there is a Torah service. A particular portion of the Torah from Leviticus is read regarding the high priest's sacrificial offerings on the Day of Atonement. And there is a prophetic reading. The prophetic reading is from the book of Jonah, a very small book, really only four chapters, perhaps most well-known for the section in which Jonah is swallowed by the whale, um, which finds itself in, of course, many parts of expressed in many aspects in Western civilization, I want to read to you a part of the book of Jonah and then introduce my guest this morning, Rabbi Sher, Egon Sher, the rabbi of Moxiki Hadass Congregation of Ottawa, Canada. And following some reading, we'll discuss the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim judgment upon it. For their wickedness has come before me. Jonah, however, started out to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's service. He went down to Joppa, which may be Jaffa, and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went aboard to sail with the others to Tarshish, away from the service of the Lord. But God cast a mighty wind upon the sea. And such a great tempest came upon the sea that the ship was in danger of breaking up. In their fright, the sailors cried out, each to his own God, and they flung the ship's cargo overboard to make it lighter for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the vessel where he lay down and fell asleep. And the captain went over to him and cried out, 
How can you be sleeping so soundly? Get up and call upon your God. Perhaps your God will be kind to us and we will not perish. The sailors said to one another, let us cast lots and find out on whose account this misfortune has come upon us. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah and they said to him, tell us you have brought this misfortune upon us. What is your business? Where have you come from and what is your country and of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made both sea and land. The men were greatly terrified, and they asked him, What have you done? And when the men learned that he was fleeing from the service of God, for he so told them, they said to him, What must we do to make the sea calm around us? For the sea was growing more and more stormy. Jonah answered them, heave me overboard, and the sea will calm down for you. For I know that this terrible storm came upon you on my account. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to regain the shore, but they could not, for the sea was growing more and more stormy about them. And then they cried out to the Lord, O please, Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not hold us guilty of killing an innocent person, for you, O Lord, by your will have brought this about. And they heaved Jonah overboard, and the sea stopped raging. The men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and then they made vows. And chapter 2 begins with the most well-known section of the book of Jonah, or at least most well-known in the general world. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah remained in the fish's belly three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. The rest of the story, of course, is well-known. And it is at that point that I welcome my guest, Rabbi Sher of Maxiki Hadas Congregation of Ottawa, Canada, and ask him a very simple question for which there is no simple answer. Rabbi Sher, why do we read Jonah on Yom Kippur afternoon? That is a that's a great question. Um, probably the the one of the most important questions about um, Judaism's relationship with uh, with Jonah. Um, before before I begin to answer that question, um, just to give some geograph- geographical context, I always like this. Great. Um, just where was Nineveh or Nineveh? And um, it's quite interesting. Um, it's actually so. It's actually in modern day Iraq, um, on the east bank of the Tigris River. So right opposite um, Mosul, which has had a lot of, which has become uh, very well known, unfortunately for. Not great reasons in the past little while, but uh, it's right across the river, the Tigris River from there. Um, It's actually, historically, it was actually one of the earliest cities to ever be built. Um, Some say it was actually built by King Nimrod, who who is an important uh, important personality in the Bible, uh, known as the father of the Assyrian people. Um, And then the city got continuously became larger and more beautified. Um, eventually, one king built a strong wall around Nineveh, 
and uh, included Nineveh and three other cities together under one massive city called Nineveh. And if you take a look, Jonah describes how the walking the city would be a three days journey. That's a pretty large city. He was referring to this uh, three this this three city this three city becoming one city of Nineveh. Um, so you've introduced the notion of where Nineveh is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you also have some thoughts about um, Nineveh as representing the um, Assyrian community that had um, conquered the uh, northern uh, community of Israel? Absolutely. Ah. Absolutely. In fact, um, in fact, if the, the, the obvious question that you need to ask is why is it that Jonah um, did not want to fulfill the word of God? Jonah received a prophecy. Um, the Talmud tells us that if you suppress a prophecy, if you do not act on a prophecy, you are actually liable to death by heaven. Um, different than 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 uh, corporal, different than capital punishment, but death by heaven. And yet we see Jonah try to suppress this uh, prophecy and run away from God. Why is it that he was? Uh, why is it that he was so intent on doing this? What didn't he like about the idea of the Assyrian city um, repenting and uh, not being subject to God's punishment? So uh, many different answers are given, but one interesting answer. This one is. Um, um, a midrashic answer, so that basically describes how Jonah had some sort of foresight as to knowing that Assyria would be responsible for the um, for the exile of the ten northern tribes. Right there came a time in Jewish history when um, the Israelites were split; ten tribes um, fell under the northern kingdom, and two tribes fell under the southern kingdom, and that. Ten, those ten tribes eventually were conquered and exiled and never to be heard from again, hence ten lost tribes. And that was all by Assyria. And he, was, he felt that if he were to interfere and bring repentance to this people, then God would not punish them, and then that would give them the ability to go ahead and exile the ten northern tribes. And he wanted to have nothing to do with um, allowing that possibility to become a reality. So and, just, and, just, yeah. and I guess that is one of the reasons that some speak about um, Jonah as a prophet, that he had uh, foresight of yep. events yet to come. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, exactly, right? But prophecy, if you take a look throughout the prophets, there's prophecy of you're being told to do something by God, but there's also a prophecy of this some this some sort of spiritual foresight that allows you to to see future events perhaps yes exactly very interesting so, um, yeah so now so so now why why is uh why is it read on yom kippur why is jonah read on yom kippur so i think we could point to a couple of things interestingly enough if you take a look throughout the book of the prophets there's there's constant Reminders. There's constant exhortations. Please repent. To the to, to, to please repent is a consistent refrain by every single one of the prophets. Yet, this is possibly one of the very. This is, if not the only one of the very few times where that request 
is heated by an entire nation or by an entire group of people. Um, Nineveh is one of the few cases where a prophet um, where a prophet said what was going to happen, where a prophet asked for repentance, and a, they, got an immediate, uh, they got an immediate positive response. So on Yom Kippur, which is all about our Day of Atonement, our Day of Repentance, it would, it's appropriate to point to the most poignant example of atonement and repentance that came so immediately, so spontaneously, so, so sincerely from this people led by their king, the king of, Asir, well, the king of Nineveh. So that perhaps is one idea. And um, yeah. when you um, chat about the book of um, Jonah to your congregation, one of the preeminent congregations in the Ottawa community, um, how do you deal with the notion that the people of Nineveh um, are not introduced in the text as being Israelites. Mm-hmm. So why would they necessarily um, repent to a God for which they, in theory, had no relationship? Well, I mean, we could, we could, get, we could discuss more from a Midrashic perspective, um, but and, and it could be that we can find a synthesis between the Midrashic perspective and the biblical slash historical perspective. Um, Midrashically, actually, that same Pharaoh who was the king of Egypt at the time when the Israelites um, received their exodus and during the times of the Ten Plagues, um, it's discussed, and the, 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 the Bible itself describes how that very Pharaoh ran after the Israelites and um, went, into the sea of, went, went, went into the Sea of Reeds, and all the rest of the Egyptians were um, perished in the Sea of Reeds. But the Midrash tells us that Pharaoh survived and eventually became the king of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh. And upon becoming the king of Nineveh, Unfortunately, the city did spiral into ways of ways of, ways of um, evil. ways of sin and transgression, ways of evil. But the moment Jonah reminded this king of 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 the Israelite God, he knew that he was dealing with something serious because he had dealt with this God beforehand, and perhaps that is how. It became. It was such an easy. It became such an easy. Uh, such an easy messengership for Jonah to get these people to uh, to repent. So and, that, 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 that would be from a Midrashic right. perspective. And the Midrash doesn't worry about historicity. Exactly. Right? So exactly. it's e- easy for the Midrash to suggest that um, the Pharaoh, is, that the king of Nineveh is the same as the Pharaoh of Egypt, even if it might have taken place, um, lest we say, hundreds of years earlier. Exactly. Thousands of years earlier. Exactly. Right. Now, now the now the, the mind that is that 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 does deal with um, historical verification and historical legitimacy. Um, perhaps the the understanding of that midrash is not so much that it's actually the same Pharaoh, but the name of the Israelite God certainly became far and wide well known after this small little group of slaves, um, after this small little group of slaves received their freedom from the superpower of Egypt. And 
perhaps this Israelite god was actually, although it may not have been the god that was worshipped by others, um, this Israelite god was seen to be powerful, was seen to be, was understood to be, um, was, was understood to be able to just be very, a very able God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, even if it was not the one they would worship, if someone would say a message in the name of that God, in the name of the Israelite God, it, perhaps that would still have a lot of, uh, it would come with a lot of uh, emphasis. It would come with a lot of, um, people would take that seriously, sure. perhaps. And they, perhaps that's they, how I'd understand it. Okay. I mean, um, for our listeners, a reminder that the Midrash is a collection of um, literary stories which attempt to fill in the gaps in the text. So um, every biblical text has um, questions that are raised by it that the text itself doesn't answer. And the Midrash comes written in different times, some ancient, some medieval, some later than the medieval period, trying to fill in the gaps so that um, the worshiper and the reader of the text has a more complete picture, just as Rabbi Sher suggested. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And so you were going to go on and tell us another reason. Yeah. So I and I think that there's there's a lot of significance in the the next uh, the next concept that uh, that I'd like to share with you, and that goes to taking a look at Jonah. Jonah was somebody number one that obviously was was fallible, that um, was capable of making this error of running away from God, um, yet still somebody who is capable of receiving prophecy. And I think that, you know, that certainly shows us something along the lines of how the potential in each of us is great, and every single one of us is, in, is imperfect, every single one of us is fallible, yet we all can become prophets, we can all become leaders, we can all make that difference. But I think what's even more important to see here, and perhaps why we read it on Yom Kippur itself, is because in Jonah, we see a tradition being continued. And the tradition that is so important to the Jewish people, but in reality to anyone of faith. The Jewish people are referred to as Yisrael, or Israel. And Yisrael comes straight from the Bible, Kisarisa im Elohim, because or im Elohim, because you struggled with God. Jacob is given a new name of Israel because he struggled with God. Almost a point to this idea that we as human beings um, are not we are we are meant to be in a relationship with God in this in this two-part relationship with God, where we together, where we together bring tikkun to this world, bring, bring a refinement and perfection to this world, where we work together to make this world a better place. And sometimes that requires of us to truly struggle against God. And we see a fine tradition of that. Abraham struggled against God when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses struggled against God when it came to defending the Jewish people, defending the Israelites in the desert, several times, in fact. And perhaps we see this a, a, a more even relevant a more relevant, um, a, m- a more relevant, more modern, although not so modern anymore, but more modern example of this in Jonah, somebody that was willing 
to call God out and say, God, I don't believe, I don't agree with you on this one, because he understood that being a human being is to be a partner, is, is being created in the image of God, but also being a partner of God. And a partner of God is supposed to struggle and and discuss and have this back-and-forth relationship with God. And that message for Yom Kippur, the holiest day of our year, is a message that the, the, the Jewish sages felt so important, so significant, that um, it's become what we read about at, the holy, at one of the holiest times, one of the holiest hours um, before the end of Yom Kippur, before we get to Ne'ilah, that last most powerful prayer. That's, this is what we are reading. And um, if I could just ask, so in a sure. sense, you're suggesting that um, we are Jonah, and that the tradition um, wants us to see ourselves as having the same uh, strengths and possibilities that Jonah has. Mm-hmm. As Jonah is a prophet out of his relationship with God, we too, um, if we can't become prophets, we certainly can become followers of the divine word. Yes? Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, we, I think when we talk about the full meaning of a prophet, it's very possible that the full modern meaning of a prophet is something accessible and attainable to each of us. But yes, I, that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, I, um, I'm going to ask you to just follow up, if you could, on that last statement about each of us being a prophet. Well, a pr- As you it, understand it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in, in Judaism, and certainly in other faiths as well, um, perhaps we are no longer hearing the voice of God directly, but we're all in tune to, to, to godliness. And that godliness that we're all in tune to, um, is, it tells us things, and it shares with us things. And that's how we come up with, with some, of our most, or some of our most deep and spiritual and, um, and, and most significant thoughts. And it's bringing those thoughts to the world, uh, those thoughts of those thoughts of goodness, those thoughts of those thoughts of tikkun. Again, I'm going to use that word. Those thoughts of refinement. I like that, that definition, refinement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> really very nice. Yeah, and it's it's bringing those thoughts of refinement that we feel in our soul that are that are that are a reflection of the divine inside of us and the world around us and then bringing those to the world that's what a prophet did it took the message of god a prophet took the message of god and brought it to the world around them that's something that every one of us is capable still as well so um two powerful messages that fit with the theme of yom kippur is there a third that you often preach on or try and teach to the congregation? So the the first is kind of, we are Jonah. Yes. So a third is, yes, there is a third. It just, um, so I actually shared it with my congregation um, on the Sabbath between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Right, the Shabbat Um, Shuvah, the Sabbath of return. Exactly, and traditionally, a rabbi shares a a special discourse on that Shabbat that is supposed to inspire that return, that right. repentance. And um, 
And I shared another thought as to why it was uh, why we read it on Yom Kippur. The only thing, the only reason I'm hesitating now is because it took me about uh, 35 minutes just to share this thought. <laughs> <laughs> so, so perhaps, but so perhaps um, next year around this time, this is a thought that I would be happy to share. Okay, when we have it distilled into uh, the few minutes that are left to us. Exactly. So, so I'm exactly. going to ask you. Um, Please. In the few minutes that are left to us to um, respond to something that I um, read by a scholar by the name of Judith Klisner. Um, And Judith Klisner is not somebody that I read often, but um, this was sent to me from uh, a colleague in which Klisner, in a book entitled um, Subversive Sequels in the Bible, Mm -hmm. How Biblical Stories Mine and Undermine Each Other, talks about the similarities and differences between the flood story and Jonah. Um, Using the notion that the world is evil, and God wants to respond to the world's evilness. Um, and Nineveh is, quote, evil, and God wants to respond to its evil. Uh, so there's a parallelism there. Mm-hmm. Uh, both protagonists end up in the water. Um, Noah on the ark uh, for 40 days, and um, Jonah in the water and of course there are 40 days that are mentioned in the book of Jonah um, in which uh, Jonah takes uh, 40 days for consideration of what he's going to do um, and so I'm wondering even though this is not necessarily um, a midrashic interpretation um, how you might see uh, you know, um, when, uh, the 40 days when Jonah reaches Nineveh, he says that in 40 days Nineveh will fall if the people do not repent. Um, and so um, I'm wondering from your religious perspective whether you might see any similarities um, between the Noah story and Jonah. And my producer tells us we have two minutes. So. <laughs> Um, so it's yeah, off the I mean, cuff. I think those are all. I think those are all really, really interesting. Um, really interesting uh, du- dualities that we find in, in these stories. Um, but something I, I would, I would, I would point out. Um, again, this may be less in the literal translation of the Bible, but just something something very interesting that I'm finding here is that when God destroyed the world. God told Noah to go to God told Noah to build an ark but never told Noah to go ahead and inspire the world to repent and Noah didn't do that on his own either and it's very possible that um that his that in the in rabbinic writing you would find that uh, he was taken for ta- taken to task for that right. so so that's that's the noah story where god does not tell noah 
um, insp- try to inspire people to repent. Whereas in the Jonah story, we see a much different a much different set of circumstances where God is telling Jonah, Jonah, please go and inspire these people to repent. God is it's, God is giving Nineveh this chance through a prophet, which God didn't give to the to the people of the flood. And I, I wonder, I wonder. If I wonder it, if there's if there's a yeah, if there's there. a kernel there in terms of God's understanding of the partnership with human beings that's devolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I invited you to comment on this <laughs> thought at the very end. I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Sher of Makziki Hadas Congregation of Ottawa, um, and uh, thank him for his wisdom and his erudition. I want to wish him an easy fast for Yom Kippur. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you a good day and shalom. 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 Shalom.